It's the first Prez Monday check-in. We'll have a chat, but not spill tea. Hey, it's the first Prez Monday check-in. We got the Bible and Greg and me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another edition of the Monday check-in. I'm Damon Jensen Heitman, one of the pastors, First Presbyterian Church, Hastings, Nebraska, joined by... Greg Allen Pickett, the other pastor at First Presbyterian Church at Hastings, Nebraska, and glad to be here with you this mm-hmm. morning, Damon. Yeah. What edition of the Monday check-in is this? This is the Confession of 1967 edition of the Monday check-in. They apparently just call it C67. You, you picked that up? Which is that's really hip. For those of you who don't know, Damon is not actually Presbyterian. Uh, he is our associate pastor here at First Presbyterian Church, but Damon uh, grew up in the UCC tradition, went to a UCC seminary, and was ordained a UCC pastor. The good news is the Presbyterian Church and the UCC Church can exchange pastors. It's, uh, it's called the formula of agreement. But all of which to say, Damon did not grow up with this rich tradition of the Book of Confessions as well as the hip uh, naming of the Confession of 67, which became known as C67 and ended up in our confessions. Yeah. Sounds like a nightclub. C67. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, or a podcast C- studio. Yeah, it could be. This is Studio C67. <laughs> yeah. Coming to you live from Studio C67. <laughs> mm-hmm. Could be a seat number on a you know large international airplane. Uh, could. So. Usually you do the row first and then the seat, 67C. But. Well, no, it's row C. It's a very wide plane. Oh, mm-hmm. oh you, you're envisioning a very wide mm-hmm. plane. Yeah, it's a real... It's a real, uh, what was that, the spruce moose? Spruce goose. Spruce is a real spruce goose situation. <laughs> Look it up. It'll be fun. All right. Uh, okay, so uh, this is the Monday check-in. We take a look at uh, some of the themes, some of the scriptures, some of the ideas that are going to be sort of kind of serving as the foundation for the upcoming worship service. We talk about that a little bit. And then we switch gears. We talk about life of the church. We usually open with a word of prayer. I think it's your turn. I think so. To open with a word of prayer. So let's uh, let's pray. Gracious and loving God, thank you for the ways that the church has expressed its faith over the years, and the ways that those expressions still speak to us today. We thank you for the Barman Declaration that is still ringing in our ears and hopefully touching our hearts as we think about what was being said by the church at that time. And God, as we move forward in time, another 33 years, we enter into an exploration of a confession that was written in 1967 in the United States. And so we think about what was happening in the world then and what the church needed to say at that time and in that place and what the church said in that time, that place and how it still speaks to us today. And so we ask that you bless and guide our conversation, bless and guide our musings on the C67 and the scriptures that it's, that uh, support it and help us to become faithful followers of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm going to read the scripture first. I'm going to start with 
a tiny, well, I'll go ahead and read the scripture, and then we'll do some background on Confession of 67. Does that work? It's going to have to work. Okay. It's our only option at this point. Hit it. So this is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 17 through 21. It reads like this. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new! Exclamation point. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness righteousness of God. That's where it ends. Okay, now what? So, we'll start with the scripture. Um, the Confession of 1967 uses language of reconciliation throughout it, and in its introduction... Boy, does it ever. It does. And in its introduction, it says that uh, it was built around this passage of Scripture, specifically 2 Corinthians 5, 19. I like 18 too, though. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. And so you've got the vertical. God has reconciled God's self to us. And so there's this ministry of reconciliation taking place between humanity and God. And then God has entrusted the ministry of reconciliation to others, right? We are now, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation and we have been entrusted with the message of reconciliation to carry out and bear out into the world. And so um, that's sort of the the founding principle or the, the core of the Confession of 67. It uses the term reconcile a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's all over the place. Yeah. Um, this idea of reconciliation. It makes the it it it's very clearly making the theological assumption that reconciliation is kind of the chief work of God. Right. Right. That 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 ever really since the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, since humans found themselves to be living in some sort of sinful state, that all, I don't know, maybe that's stepping too far, <laughs> but you'll tell me if it is, that all of the work of God in some way, shape, or form could fall under this umbrella of reconciliation or attempts at reconciliation. At reconciling the relationship between God and humanity and then also reconciling relationships within humanity between humans. And then also, I think, as the language Paul uses, we're supposed to be ambassadors for God. We're supposed to help others reconcile the relationship with one another and with God. So right. the vertical and the horizontal, if you will. Yeah, so if, that, if the work that God is about is about reconciling, mm-hmm. then the work that human then followers of God should be about is also reconciling. Yeah. Right. Like that's yep. 
it just makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and reconciliation, I, I mean, that's a key word to this confession and probably one that we, uh, I will explore and push on a little yeah. bit. because Somebody should probably define it at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Mm-hmm. My understanding that reconciliation means to, to restore. Restore. To, to re- a, a, a relationship. Yep. Right? To bring back right relationship. Mm-hmm. Yep. That there, there was something happened, something severed that. When you do a, a call to confession, you oftentimes put an emphasis on sin being that which causes separation. Mm-hmm. Between ourselves and others and mm-hmm. between ourselves and God. So then reconciliation is the restoration of that relationship by some yeah. means. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good definition of reconciliation. There you go. Cheers. Yeah. Right, off the, right off the top of the word dome. But what does vicissitudes mean? <laughs> you have to read it in context. <laughs> I remain unsure. Though I confess I didn't go and look it up. I should have. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So. That's, so this is a document that's all about reconciliation. the importance of reconciliation. Right? It was written in 1967. Hmm? A time of rather... Uh, pronounced discord within the country at least and it seems like also within Presbyterian churches um, not, a, not a ton of discord necessarily within the Presbyterian church but more in the nation and the world and so the confession of 67 felt the need to speak to that discord mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> there's uh, Vietnam is going on. Vietnam is going on. This is uh, right in the midst of the civil rights yep. movement. Um, King is assassinated a year later. Right. In 68, along with, uh, not along with, but um, Bobby Kennedy was also assassinated in 68. Um, so there is lots of uh, strife and tension uh, related to race in the country. A lot of strife and tension related to war and in the country. Pro- not just Vietnam, but also the proliferation of biological, chemical, and nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. There's stuff going on with that. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was right in the middle of the buildup of a Cold War um, that's yeah. taking place as well. There's, as there always is, uh, tension between generations. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, as well. You're not sensing any of that tension between generations here on our podcast, are you? <laughs> well, I think, uh, no, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> but there's just, um, someone in the church was pointing out to me a letter that went out from the session to the congregation members in 1905. Yes. And, hanging in the parlor, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <clears throat> but part of it was... Very clearly, we are concerned about this generation of just wild, this is not a direct quote, but this is the feeling that I got. We perceive this newest generation to be just wild, heathen children. I prefer the term hooligans. (laughs) And we're worried about them. Yep. Which is something that every generation has said about some generation. Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read, there's an introduction to this Confession of 67 that was written by um, somebody I know, Joe Small, who led the Office of uh, Theology and Worship at the National 
denominational headquarters for many years. And mm-hmm. He said, The Confession of 67 notes that God's reconciling work in Jesus Christ and the church's mission of reconciliation are the heart of the gospel in any age. And then, but, and this is written in the text of the document, our generation stands in peculiar need of reconciliation yeah. in Christ. What's interesting, though, is Joe goes on to write, this is uh, in an introduction he wrote to the Confession of 67 when it was celebrating its 35th anniversary, which is an odd anniversary to celebrate, I find. But he says, 35 years later, it's clear that our present generation also stands in peculiar need of reconciliation in Christ. Thus, the Confession of 67 is especially important, is especially important to a contemporary articulation of Christian faith and life. And so it's got, it had relevance for its particular time, and it names it. I mean, it very clearly names um, the issues of civil rights and racism. It very clearly names the issue of nuclear proliferation and the Cold War. And uh, it doesn't name Vietnam, but it names um, what's going on. And yet also speaks more broadly. In the same way, I would say that the other confessions we've studied, Nicaea and Scott's Confession and the Barman Declaration, all still speak to us today in one way or another, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and the authors, of it, it's also written within this confession that they understand this to be a particular word to a particular time. Right. Um, and and they, don't, they don't expect it necessarily to, to be applicable to all future generations. I think they hope that it won't need to be applicable to all future generations, right? That, that folks reading this would agree and get on board and then fix the issue. Right. <laughs> and then you, and then this could just kind of be, well, wasn't, you know, a fun little, well, wasn't that an interesting time? Right. Um, to, to be alive, but. Yeah. So what was going on in the Presbyterian church that Damon alluded to, um, we had a Northern Presbyterian Church and a Southern Presbyterian Church uh, that had split over the Civil War and still had not reunited by 1967. There were still, um, they still both perceived needs to be separate and different. Um, But what this particular document did was begin the process of reunification because both the Northern and the Southern Church adopted this document in 1967 mm-hmm. at their separate general assemblies. But it wasn't without um, conflict. And there were groups within the church that uh, that were opposed to some of the language in here and uh, lobbied against it. Um, at the end of the day, though, there was a lot of education that was done and a lot of... Uh, thought papers were rolled out on it. And uh, this was eventually adopted uh, into the Book of Confessions in uh, following the General Assembly in 67. And it was ratified uh, by 90% of all the presbyteries around the United States. And so it got added to that language. And it actually started uh, what we know today as the Book of Confessions. The movement to create this document and to add it. And at that point they said, there are other confessions we ought to also be including, because up till this point, the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Westminster Shorter Catechism were the primary confessional documents the Presbyterian Church used. And so it was at this that Barman was added, which we talked about last week, and it was in 1967 that Barman was added. It's also when they went back and said Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, Scott's Confession, Second Helvetic, Heidelberg, 
um, and then the Westminster and yeah. the Westminster Catechisms, and then Barman in 67. So mm-hmm. interesting things going on in the life of the church, sort of, if you will, a need for them to define themselves and who they are and what they believe and sort of what are their confessional standards, if you will. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, it's, um, so we, we are not exploring any of the catechisms. No. In, in this series. And that was really mostly my choice. Yes. Right. Um, the catechisms. So one of the, like, okay, we have the Nicene, that's a creed. And then we've got some confessions then we've got a catechism. Uh, and then it's like, we have these different things that are kind of the same, but they're different sorts of documents. Right. Tell me if you think that this is fair. Okay. Right. Um, this confession and the Scots confession as well, I would put into the category of applied theology. The catechisms, I think of just more generally as theoretical theology. Hmm. If that makes sense. Like the catechisms are, uh, here's a theological question. Tell me what's the theological answer. What is the chief purpose of humankind? To glorify God and enjoy God forever. Okay. That's, that's a theological theory. Statement, question, and answer. And now yeah. 67 is telling you, here's what we think that looks like when applied. When applied, when lived out. Right. That's, that's fair. The little caveat there, I think catechisms are also primarily teaching tools. Sure. It takes a dense, like the Westminster Statement of Faith, the Westminster Confession, is a very dense theological document. And then yep. the catechism separates it out into a question and answer format. So it's a teaching tool. Mm-hmm. But yes. But you have to learn the theory before you can apply it. That's that's fair. Right? I mean, yeah. yeah. I, I I think that's a good framing. I don't know that any Presbyterians have ever framed it that way. Well, they still haven't. <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, much of Patent this... pending. Copyright. <laughs> that's my intellectual property. <laughs> Much of this Confession of 67 is indeed an, an attempt to talk about what the faith looks like lived out, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, when the, so then when they, and it's a, lot, it's a lot of like preamble to get to. The, <laughs> it is? It's a, lot of set, it's a lot of explaining how we are getting to where we're going to get to the parts that I think are the, before you get to the parts that I think are the really the meaty parts. Yeah, uh, you know, where they talk about it's the church's obligation and responsibility to oppose racial inequality in all of its forms, uh, and it's the church's obligation and responsibility to advocate for peace and reconciliation between nations, um, even when that puts the security of a nation at risk. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a lot of setup. Um, for that before we get to the the parts that I think this is the applied um, parts and it makes it a really I think interesting theological um, thing here happens towards the end of the service I'm at like 9.37 if you have the little I do indicators right um, but it makes clear that the church is its members Right. Yes. The members of the church 
are the church. And this comes up in different places. The one place that I highlighted it is here in 9.37. The church disperses to serve God wherever its members are, at work or play, in private, or in the life of society. It continues. Uh, uh, their prayer and Bible study are part of the church's worship and theological reflection. Like The church's worship isn't just on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. It's also any time that a person opens that book and takes a look at it. Or prays. Mm-hmm. Their witness, their witness, the, mem- the church members' witness, is the church's evangelism, right? Their daily action, their daily action in the world is the church in mission to the world. The quality of their relation with other persons is the measure of the church's fidelity. And then read the next sentence. Each member is the church in the world. Yeah. Endowed by the Spirit with some gift of ministry and is responsible for the integrity of their witness in their own particular situation. Yeah. Right. Really well said. Yeah. So part two is sort of the meaty part of this. And you've jumped right to some of my favorite language in here. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Because right before that, it does define the church as its individual members, but it says first the church gathers, mm-hmm. right? So um, in nine paragraph nine thirty five, wherever the church exists, its members are both gathered in corporate life and dispersed in society for the sake of mission in the world. And then it says the church gathers to praise God, to hear God's word, to baptize, to join the Lord's supper, uh, in worship, to enjoy fellowship, receive instruction, strength, and comfort, and to order order its its life. Mm-hmm. So the church gathers. And then the church disperses, yeah. And the church, being its members, to serve God wherever its members are. Mm-hmm. And then it, and you, you read that language. It's just beautiful about what it looks like. The work of the church in the world is, in fact, its members engaging in the life of the world. So we're not called to 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 turn inward and to cloister ourselves and to do nothing. But instead, we gather to do these things: to praise God, to hear God's word, to worship, uh, to baptize, to share the Lord's Supper, to share fellowship, receive instruction, strength, and comfort. And then that's to go out and disperse ourselves in the world to be the church in the world. Yeah. Yeah, I read a thing recently from a pastor whose name I don't remember, <laughs> but I thought it was uh, was beautiful, and hopefully I can hold on to it, that um, when as they were raising their children, whenever their children would leave the house, they would say to them, um, don't forget who you are and whose you are, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, to, and to me, that's like when folks are leaving on a Sunday morning, which we should make the same encouragement to them. And we do just in different language. Yeah. Right? But like, don't forget who you are <laughs> when you're out there uh, or whose you are, right? That, that you still, you are still remain, you are retaining this identity that you had when we gathered. And part of the reason that we gather, I think, is to remember, be reminded right. of that because it's rather easy to forget. Yep. Um, and, yeah, don't forget. Don't forget who you are. Yeah, I totally agree. I And I like, I've, I've attended churches that have different ways of, uh, you know, sometimes we talk about our worship service. Mm-hmm. And then I've seen churches on the exit door, they have a sign that says, now the service begins. Sure. 
I'm playing on that word service, right? Mm -hmm. We come in for the worship service, but now the service begins. I think um, the memorial committee of the church who oversees funds that come into the church from, uh, from folks who have passed away and whatnot, I think we're in the process of working on a uh, stained glass window that will be over our primary exit and entrance door. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll be able to read it from the inside. Sure. And it will say, go and serve. And it's obviously an homage to our go and serve ministries, mm-hmm. but it's also a reminder that as we step out those doors into the world, we are to go and serve. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, worship charges us up, energizes us, uh, reminds us who we are and whose we are so that we can go out in the world and not forget that and then be that into the world. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, we also, when we talk about offering, we use some of that language mm-hmm. as well. Um, you in particular do a really nice job of of shaping that language when we introduce the offering most weeks, yeah. Um, yeah, that was a thing that I, I thought was really a, a particular theological thing. Um, you know, and then we get into the reconciliation in society, Um portion of the document and that's where they really start to lay out the uh, the church the church uh, which means its members right we know from earlier in the document <laughs> uh, is called to bring and they used gendered language I have a non-gendered version here if you'd like to read it yeah sure where, where am I 9.44 no. the church is called to bring all people to receive and uphold one another as persons in all relationships of life, in employment, housing, education, leisure, marriage, family, church, and the exercise of political rights. And those are all hitting on, those are all key points of the civil rights movement. Correct. Yep. Uh, Therefore, the church, meaning its members, (laughs) labors for the abolition of all racial discrimination and and ministers to those injured by it. Congregations, individuals, or groups of Christians who exclude, dominate, or patronize others, however subtly, resist the Spirit of God and bring contempt on the faith which they profess. So that little bit, which is like, that's the real nail on the head (laughs) part. And I also had to underline, highlight this when talking about... uh, the church in its own life is called, this is from 45, it's called to practice the forgiveness of enemies and to commend to the nations as practical politics, the search for cooperation and peace. The search requires that the nation requires that the nations pursue fresh and responsible relations across every line of conflict, even at risk to national security to reduce areas of strife and to broaden international understanding. That's a, t- that's a big one, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an interesting footnote on this one, too. Um, at the time, and I don't have the name of the individual, but at the time, the uh, Secretary of Defense for the United States in 1967, and history buffs can tell me who that was, was actually uh, a Presbyterian. And he wrote a paper opposing this language in the Confession of 67. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how involved he was in the life of his church and how he connected that to his own uh, 
sense of call and, and, and career and all that stuff. So the, just kind of an interesting footnote. And that, that speaks to a little bit of the opposition that we talked about. Um, the, the next paragraph to paragraph 946, the reconciliation of humankind through Jesus Christ makes it plain that enslaving poverty in a world of abundance is an intolerable violation of God's good creation. And so um, it's addressing racism in the civil rights movement, it's addressing war and nuclear proliferation, and then it's addressing poverty as well, uh, as clearly as it can, um, and states that the church, its members, are called to uh, work towards alleviating poverty and the impact that it has. And, it, and then it concludes that paragraph, a church that is indifferent to poverty or evades responsibility in economic affairs or is open to one social class only or expects gratitude for its beneficence makes a mockery of reconciliation and offers no acceptable worship to God. <laughs> yeah. They are not mincing their words on this one. That the, One of the roles of the church in its work of reconciliation in the world is to work to alleviate poverty, to work together with other folks to alleviate poverty. And it, it does not mince its words. As strong a language as we read in the Barman Declaration, Yeah. therefore we reject the notion. I was just thinking that. Right? Mm -hmm. It feels uh, like they are definitely being... Yeah, they have a similar pattern to it. Yeah, they didn't... Yeah. Yeah, yeah you could read that as, therefore we reject the assumption that a church could... Not be indifferent to these poverty things. or evade mm -hmm. responsibility. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 This is, um, it also strikes me while uh, we're reading and talking about this, this confession, I think more so um, than, than the things that we have read so far puts an emphasis on how we as human beings are going to treat one another. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, um, more, I, that is certainly implied, right, by the ones that we have read up to this point. Yeah, but this puts a really clear focus and emphasis on on what is this faith that we have look what what does it look like lived out mm -hmm. in our in our time and in our age. Yeah, yeah. This is, uh, and, and it, it, in the Southern Church, they talk about moving from preaching to meddling. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and this, this one, for sure, in the same way that I think the Barman Declaration certainly moved from preaching to meddling for the particular context of Germany in 1934, and we, we know that to be the case because the signers of it found themselves in trouble, right? This, this yeah. declaration yeah. or this confession also uh, moves into making claims on our individual lives as Christians, how we're living our lives, how we use our resources, uh, that sort of thing. And so that that can be, um, you can see why there might have been some resistance to this document, though it was, again, passed with an overwhelming majority of ratification and presbyteries of over 90%, and now lives in our Book of Confessions as part of our Constitution as Presbyterians. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it carries out... It in, um, one of the things that you talked about with the Barman Declaration is that 
the Barman dec the Declaration makes clear that Jesus, Jesus puts a claim on the whole of our lives, W-H-O-L-E, right. uh, of our lives. And this, this, this carries that forward, right? Absolutely. In the realms of housing and education and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, right? Everywhere that a church member goes in the world, there's a claim on your life there. Right. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. You think it'll preach? I think it'll preach. Um, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to explore it some more this week. And I also look forward to hearing what Dr. Dan Deffenbaugh is going to have to say about it uh, in his uh, adult ed forum that he's going to teach on Sunday. So this seems like a good time to transition into some announcements about the life of our church. And the first one is that. Uh, as part of this study of these confessions uh, for the season of Lent, we you're going to hear a sermon on this confession. Also at 9.15 on Sunday morning, Dr. Dan Deffenbaugh will be in the Lydia room teaching an adult ed forum, which we will also record and send out a recording of. And also, uh, Damon is writing a, uh, an Advent, or a, Advent, a Lenten devotional. Um, Somebody else came in the office the other day asking for copies of the Advent, Advent devotional. devotional. <laughs> so, you're a little late, or early, I guess, but here, so, here you go. Anyways, Damon's writing a Lenten devotional, which we will hand out at church on Sunday and also email out on Monday morning. Um, and the Lenten devotionals, there's one for every week. So if you think you got one, uh, know that you need to get another one <laughs> the following week. I, I realize in retrospect we should have color-coded them. Yeah. Which um, we can start doing now. I'm... That I, You may want <laughs> to yeah, you know. swap the colors on this one just so that people know that they're getting a new one. And yeah. we can do that for the next. Because we, we still have three more weeks of it, right? Uh, we have we have 67, we have a brief statement of faith, and we have the 2019 Confirmands yeah. statement of faith. So yeah, we'll, um, we'll be color-coding the, the last three to make sure everybody gets them. Yeah, we can do that for sure. So, the, uh, so that's this Sunday. Um, there, Dan has, uh, we recorded a session with Dan uh, about the... Um, the Barman, Barman Declaration. The Theological Declaration of Barman that we will get uh, posted and should be up on, on our YouTube channel today, Monday. Uh, and we'll get a link sent out to everybody to that, uh, which he does a really nice job of, of setting the historical context yeah. for that document and, and helping us to have an understanding of what was happening uh, with 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 the Protestant churches in Germany uh, in the early 1930s, so uh, so folks can be on the lookout for that as well. Um, otherwise, things this coming Sunday are continuing as normal. We got the 8:30 service um, and then the 10:30 service. Uh, we will be back from spring break, so we will have Sunday school this coming Sunday. Wednesday night live resumes this coming Wednesday as well. So those uh, activities will be back up and running this coming week. Yeah. And then looking a little further down the month, um, March 20, Sunday, March 26th, which is will be two weeks from yesterday, um, we will have a soup supper here at the church on Sunday night at 5 p.m., followed by a presentation of dramatic first-person vignettes about the history of our church told from the voices of folks uh, who lived those uh, or in first-person narrative style. Uh, and so we'll hope you join us for that uh, sort of uh, memorable 
members of First Presbyterian Church, memorable members and pastors of First Presbyterian Church and some of their stories. So we hope you'll be able to join us for that. That's on Sunday, March 26th at 5 p.m. for the soup supper at 6 p.m. for the uh, production. And uh, then the week after that uh, is a normal week, and then we roll into Holy Week. And so we'll update you with Holy Week stuff starting next week and hopefully get you engaged with uh, some of the things we're doing in our church during Holy Week. Sure. But the broad strokes is Palm Sunday, uh, Monday Thursday service at, I believe, 7. Mm-hmm. On, on Thursday before Easter, a Good Friday service, also at 7 in the evening, both of these. Um, on the Friday before Easter, we'll be doing a uh, Easter prayer vigil from the end of Good Friday service to Easter Sunday morning, inviting folks to participate in from the congregation in prayer for one another and for the world at large. And then <clears throat> Easter Sunday morning, I'll have a, an 8.30 service and a 10.30 service. Both of those services in the sanctuary, mm-hmm. both of those services, uh, chancel choir, uh, cathedral brass, chancel bells yep. as well. So those, mm-hmm. they're the same service, uh, just at two different times. Of course, our organ will be playing and all that stuff. It mm-hmm. promises to be a glorious celebration of the resurrection. Glorious, victorious, as Ryan Folkman would say. Oh, I don't know Ryan Folkman, but that yeah. sounds great. Yeah. Glorious, victorious. Maybe that's the name of my Easter sermon. <laughs> glorious, victorious. Glorious, victorious morning. All right. <laughs> well, then, should we pray? Yeah. Loving and gracious God, thank you for the witness of those who have come before us. Thank you for their courage, for their faith, for their wisdom and insight um, to live lives as best as they could that were faithful to you and to the calling that you placed upon their hearts. Help us, a God, to learn from them, uh, to take their lessons and carry them forward within our own hearts. Give us that which we need to live as best we are able, lives that are worthy of the calling that we have received. In your gracious and loving name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well then, with all those things said and done, until next time, toodaloo.